0: official. It is official. Absolutely. (laughs) So welcome to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine in partnership with the American Advertising Federation. I am super excited to be talking to our guests uh, today, which I'm going to talk to you a little bit about their uh, pretty phenomenal bio. But before we do that, I would love to introduce our guest co-host, Uh, for the series, Brittany Allen. Brittany, welcome to the show. Tell the people at home listening a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes, thank you so much. I do. It's an honor to be here. I love this show. I love the content. I love the folks that we get an opportunity to talk to. Um, I would say I'm pretty much an average young black woman living in LA doing yoga, enjoying the sunshine, some advertising on the side, all things diversity, equity and inclusion whenever I have an opportunity is pretty much where I like to keep my focus. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have this conversation. I can't wait to see what season two has in store.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much. So yes, Brittany will be on uh, the upcoming uh, episodes as we move forward in the series. But as many of you know, we have been talking to um, past recipients of the uh, wonderful achievement of the Advertising Hall of of Achievement Award, that is. And today we're going to be talking with Marcus Collins. Dr. Marcus Collins, shall I say, is an award-winning marketer and cultural translator with one foot Um, In the world of practice, serving as the chief strategy officer at Whiting Kennedy, New York, and one foot in the world of education as a professor. So um, definitely would love to hear more about that. Also, he has a deep understanding of brand strategy, consumer behavior, uh, which really has helped him bridge the gap with so many of his different efforts. Um, He currently is also the host of another podcast, which we're going to, um, or shall I say content series, which we're going to chat about. But he's also the recipient of Advertising at Age 40 Under 40 Award, along with an inductee of the American Advertising uh, Federation uh, Hall of Fame. Before joining and Kennedy, he was at... Most of you may know Steve Stout's uh, Agency Translation, but over the course of his career, um, he's really developed um, a keen eye when it comes to strategy and also how we approach it for so many different programs. One that I'm really, really excited about and hopefully we can dive into, which is uh, Made in America Festival that uh, many of us rightfully call the Jay-Z Festival, but I'm sure we'll dive into that as well. Marcus, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing amazing. Thanks so much for having me. Super stoked to be here with you guys.
0: Absolutely. And for the people listening at home, is there anything else that you want to kind of touch on in your bio? I mean, I kind of feel like we're going to dive into it um, in the conversation, but we'd love for you to uh, chat about anything I may have missed.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a product of Detroit, born and raised, uh, representative for 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 the city always. And uh, I'm Alex's husband and Georgia and Ivy's father, which I think are the best jobs that I have.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Tell me about it. Family man. So, you know, talking about being a family man and also during a pandemic, I just want to first start off by saying, how are you doing?
2: I'm good, man. Let me listen. I woke up on this side of the grass and that mm-hmm. is a blessing. Um, but no, like, you know, it's like the way I think about it and the way it's been sort of discussed in, in my circles is that while COVID and the pandemic definitely uh, cost us a lot, we also got a lot too. I spent a lot more time with my my children. Um, I got a chance to, you know, to to work at a company that probably normally wouldn't be able to be open to someone working from Michigan as opposed to being in New York at at Wyden. Uh, you know, I got a chance to 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 ing- to in- invest myself deeper because of what a time I normally be spend on an airplane. I was able to be home, so I had more time to read, more time to, to engross myself, particularly in the social sciences, and finish my my dissertation. Like All these things were made possible because of what would normally be a time commitment had been removed from, from the equation, so mm-hmm. I gained a lot.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I'm hoping and I'm excited that our uh, listeners at home will be able to gain um, more from this conversation with uh, Brittany, you, as well as myself. So let's dive into it, shall we? Let's For do the it. past couple of episodes, we've been talking about a dose of various different things. We had the opportunity to talk with Dane Scotty about a dose of Black excellence. We talked with Christina J. Powell about a dose of allyship. We talked with kaval Khan about a dose of um, financial growth and Mm well-being. And we also talked with Tiffany R. Warren about a dose of empathy. Today we are talking about a dose of strategy, which I think is a a really loaded term and word when it comes to people diving into that career. What kind of drove you to dive into strategy as a career path that you knew was something you were passionate about?
2: You know, it was very serendipitous and it was not planned out. I was an engineer undergrad. I studied materials engineering. I thought polymers were cool until I realized it's probably not the best way to describe polymers. Interesting, yeah, but cool, probably not so much. Uh, I really <laughs> wanted to be a musician, but my parents were like, fam, you must be bugging. If you think that you're going to go to school to write songs, are you kidding me, son? Nah, nah, be you, you're going to be studying engineering. <laughs> so when I graduated, I went to the music industry, um, it turned over a couple stones, ended up starting a company, co-founding a company that it did pretty well until it didn't. Then went back to school to figure out this disruption that was happening in the music world and that was digital
0: mm. So I was in my
2: MBA, uh focusing on on strategic brand uh brand marketing because i thought that marketing was probably the most creative aspect of business um and i wanted to work at apple and i figured business school was the way to, to make that happen so i went to go work at, at, at partner marketing uh at itunes and apple and then went to new york to 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 do digital strategy for beyonce and and it wasn't there that, until working at Beyonce that actually had the the title strategy in, in 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 my moniker. So strategy had always been something that I'd I'd been a part of, but never formalized in as as a practice. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that like I was like you know driven by it because of my excitement. I would argue say I didn't very know really know much about it until I started ex- my, exercising myself in it.
0: Mm, wonderful. I have a quick question, you know, I was, you know, through your bio, mentioned that you're a lecturer or you're a professor. I'm I'm also a lecturer at Miami Ad School. But something that I realize on my end is when it comes to uh, the term of being a creative strategist, anytime that I mention that to a particular student, it's this light bulb that goes up almost as if they didn't even know that that was an option. Do you feel like um, the education I guess a uh, field has really evolved to where the role of a strategist is more talked about um, in, in a business as well as a curriculum and people really understanding that you do have the opportunity to be a strategist and here's what it looks like. And here's our, this, and these are the steps.
2: I mean, interestingly, I got my start in education at Miami ad school as well, oh. in the Brooklyn office. My first class I taught was Miami ad school. Okay. And what led me to academia were, were two things. One, I realized I knew nothing about people, right? I was running social at translation, and I realized that, oh, social means people, right? social work, social justice, social action, social welfare, it's all about people. The etymology of social is all about people. And in that moment, I realized I knew nothing about people. So I started to invest myself, engross myself into the social sciences. And as I got more as my my repertoire of 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 the social sciences began to to build out the work got infinitely better as i applied the theory to the work Mm -hmm. and you know i'm so excited about it i want to talk about all the time but you know as a strategist you got like the first 15 minutes of of a creative presentation then when i I hear you wax poetic about identity theory like whatever i have to
1: say i would love to hear that
2: (laughs) but most clients like just get to the work (laughs) <laughs> so I felt like I need another outlet to 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 share these ideas. And while that was happening, I realized that I had had not been this excited about learning since when I was a musician, right? When I was studying music theory in in in, in undergrad, while I was supposed to be taking engineering courses. And I wondered, like, why is that? Why why What is it about this idea of behavioral science that made me so excited? Is it the is it the the, the topic? And what I found is that the way that I learned in undergrad, even in business school, it was not conducive to my learning dispositions, right? Cobb's theory talks about there's different ways by which people learn. And my formative years of education, both as a child and as an adult, they weren't really optimized for my learning. So I thought, okay, I'm really excited about this space of behavioral science and how it applies to marketing communications. And I realized there is an anemia with regards to how people learn people like me. So maybe that's an opportunity for me to exercise this new found, uh, excitement that I have around behavioral science and design courses that allow for a more mixed modular way by which we learn. And that's how I got into into academia, Miami ad school being the first thing. So instead of like just hearing quotes from, uh, from from george lowenstein like throwing a quote from kanye west right instead of like seeing examples from what a brand has done maybe show me example of this idea of gap in knowledge or breaking the schema of putting it back together with meaning through the the drop of beyonce's album beyonce right taking what would normally be me removing my cultural affiliation before i got into the classroom but like bringing that with me and having a professor marry what happens outside the classroom and inside the classroom so that I can bring my whole self into Mm -hmm. the discussion. I just never had that as a student. And that's the kind of classroom that I try to curate for my students, especially those who want to be in marketing communications, because it's all mediated through culture.
0: Listen, I'm, I'm going to let Brittany take it over for sure, but I think, you know, if anything, we just want to say we appreciate you as a lecturer, as a professor, anybody that is used to being in the classroom. I, I know the hit that we had to take with everything being virtual. I'm not sure if you all are there in person, you know, in person, but uh, we definitely appreciate you. Uh, Brittany, go ahead. I'm so sorry.
1: Yes, don't be sorry, don't be sorry. I love a few things that you said, Marcus, um, specifically that you've mentioned Beyonce twice now. <laughs> <laughs> that always sticks out to me, always an opportunity to work with the greatest in the, in the industry. Um, but what I do love is that you're really focused on challenging your students to bring their whole selves into the academic environment. I think it's so important when we think about advertising, we think about representation, what equity looks like, what truly being able to show up as your full self really looks like. Um, I heard another Another um, inspiration actually come through about including Jay Z in every deck. Um, she's a strategist over at another agency yeah. uh, in LA, and she always has a slide about Jay Z, Beyonce, Kanye, you know, her favorite musical artist. She puts it directly in the work. Have you ever had challenges where you feel like you couldn't show up as your full self, or you maybe? Felt a little bit intimidated to really bring that other side of you because our culture is something that people aren't always familiar with or they may not always respect. But listening to you kind of marry the two between academia and culture and find that sweet spot, how have you really been able to mesh that relationship and make sure that you really are bringing all of that every single time?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, like if you are in a room where you can't be yourself, then you're in the wrong room, like full stop. Mm -hmm. Like I found that the biggest cheat code is the more you are yourself the more opportunities open up for you. And it took me a long time to get there. Like when I was working to work, used to work at Apple, my manager who I loved dearly and was so gracious and, and so helpful for me. He would always, he, he would always ask me, what do you mean? Anytime I say something like, if especially in a presentation, he go, wait, a minute, w- w- what do you mean? It could be something as simple as the book is read. He go, what do you mean? And I'm like, the book is read. Like the book is read. And he goes, well, What do you mean? He's like, you need to be more surgical with your words. And mm. when you tell me that, I used to put on my on my, my my whiteboard, what do you mean? And that actually created a complex for me. Like I was always worried about the way I said things, trying to find the right language so I can sound like I was a professional, make sure I had the right vocal inflections when I talk so that people knew what I was trying to say, because that's what people are supposed to talk like. I don't talk like that. Right. And and every time I found myself trying to like trying to meet the criteria that someone else has established for me, I always stumbled, like all the time. Like I never had the right wording. I never really felt quite like myself. When I was at translation, on the other hand, I I start to find who I was, like find my 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 voice. And I remember this very vividly. We were about to have this really big meeting with Carlos Brito, who was the global CMO. Of anheuser-busch at the time we had just won uh the bud bud light business had Bud Light platinum we already did made in america for for uh for budweiser and brito was like i want to know who these guys are who this little agency translation is so we're we we have seven hour like six hour meeting with this guy like it's a legit meeting and it was going to be curated they were going to have like some people come in and present and leave and I also be one of those people like the guests of of, of honor if you will so they are texting me when it's my time and I am so nervous. Like I'm so nervous. Probably the biggest meeting I've been in outside of being at Apple, just like so, so nervous. And they text me and say, Marcus, it's time. So I go in the room and I told myself, no one knows this better than you, dog. Nobody mm-hmm. does. So yeah. who, who cares? Have these guys. <laughs> like that's, I, I kept telling myself that. Mm-hmm. When I walked in, I remember the words I said so clearly. I said, hey, uh, my name is Marcus. I'm so excited to be here. And listen, I, I love social and I'm going to try to keep this at a seven, but it's very likely this is going to go to a 12 and <laughs> like they laugh. And I was like, oh, this is all good. And yeah. ever since then, every time I say, I give a talk, I always start with hi, I'm Marcus Collins and I'm so excited to be here because I am And like the more I was myself, the more I talked like me, the more I dressed like me, the more I use references that were of me, like. Always a Kanye West reference, it's always a Frank Ocean reference, it's always a a University of Michigan reference, it's always a Detroit reference because that's just who I am. And the more I got comfortable with being who I am, the better things became. Mm -hmm. The way I tell my students is I've spent so much of my life trying to fit in until I was was brave enough to stand out.
0: Mm -hmm. And the
2: minute that that happened, like my career just began to shift. And being at Y Kennedy now. We believe that your power is your voice. Like like that's that's how we help Nike be Nike by helping it find its voice. So for us as practitioners, uh, for us as employees in a, in a company, like you've got to be in rooms where you can display your voice. and if you can't, then you're in the wrong room and that is a strategic decision to make. Right. Like, you know, do you asked the question, like, this is about a a dose of of strategy. I mean, like, well, let's define strategy. Not to like just take the conversation from you, Brittany, but let's do it. You know, like strategy at its core is all about making decisions. It's a plan. Mm -hmm. And by its very nature, we're saying no to things. Like Steve Jobs would say, you know, we say no to the thousand things we like to say yes to the one thing that we love. Michael Porter talks about the essence of strategies about saying no, and our job then as strategists is looking at all the options and saying nope, 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 yes, and we have to, as practitioners, particularly as people of color, black folk, uh, in this world that we live in, we have to navigate it based upon the decisions that we make that we believe are going to optimize the opportunity. ahead of us. And I would argue that the best strategy when it comes to uh, where you show up and how you show up is to be you. You got to know your voice.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. That was beautifully said. I think something that really stood out for me is, is knowing who you are before you get into the room and being comfortable with that person once you're there and yeah. knowing that if you feel tension, if you feel a challenge, then maybe that's not the right room, but not because you've done something wrong or because you didn't show up in the best way, but maybe that's just not your crowd and those aren't your people. Yeah. And having discernment to really understand and identify that is so critical.
2: Yeah. There, there was I I heard this somewhere. And I tell my daughter this, my eldest daughter, Georgia, this all the time. You know, if you um, if you go to the gas station to buy a bottle of water, it's about a dollar, roughly, right? Um, if you go to, if it's hot outside and you see someone selling water, it's probably $2, right? Because it's hot. If you go to the movie theater, like water's like $5. If you go to an amusement park, water's like $7. It's all just water. The only difference is that people appreciate what the water can do in different situations so the question you ask yourself is if no one respects you at the gas station go to the movie theater no respect in the movie theater go to the amusement park you go to the places where people appreciate you it's no shot at them right it's no shot at them they just you know it's just Look, like, even jesus wasn't accepted when when he came right so like you go to the places where people appreciate you not where you tolerate it but where you are appreciated. Yeah. Like, it ain't for everybody. Yeah. Like that, that, that's a J line, right? It ain't for everybody. And that's totally fine. It's totally fine. This is about finding the congruence where it makes sense.
0: Yeah, you know, I I absolutely agree with like Brittany about being in the room for sure and it, sometimes if when you're in the room you realize it's not the right room for you you get out of there. um but i I do want to take a few steps like back i think from even being in the room because a part of being in the room is the struggle of actually getting in the room Uh, and so i feel like when we're talking about strategy and we're talking about combining strategy um with culture and insights that different communities have related to certain um, um events or certain things where it's like okay this person has so much talent How much, um, or what would you say is the responsibility of leaders and HR when it comes to being able to identify a strategist that has potential to be in the room, that Mm. is dynamic with doing that? Um, And I'll give you a prime example. I'll never forget um, being a junior art director and having my portfolio at the time. This is around like, and showing it to Omnicom, which I later on got the job, but I had literally club flyers. In my portfolio, Marcus. Like, I mean, club flyers. We're That's talking. What's about, That's what's like, up. about full, like, you know, like, like Takara, or whatever models are on it. Like, you know, but but I think what what got me, and I always say, <laughs> Tyra, I mean, I don't know who was on the flyers, but I always say that if, if it wasn't for the art direction and the design, it went right over my head. But whoever was there realized, okay, he could definitely also somehow create for Pizza Hut. So what is the responsibility of leaders in HR when it comes to, you know, like I said, taking steps back to that person getting in the room, being able to identify they do have the potential to be a strategist and ultimately it may require some grooming over time, but they can certainly do it. Yeah. I mean... I would hire you in a second if I saw <laughs> that portfolio,
2: and they and they show me club flyers. I'm yeah, like, yo, yeah, Marcus. But let's, I mean, let's be real. Let's talk about what that means. Like, so what? What essentially means is that you have cultural proximity, great cultural proximity, right? Because like, though those club flyers, they're always contextualized like who is the best looking model at the time what's the best looking car what's the best looking place who's the best dj at the time the proximity to culture for those club flyers are they're, they're so intimate they're so nuanced it says a lot about who you are and your proximity to the culture of interest and how you're able to express the cultural product through those handbills like it says a lot so now how
0: should senior executives and hiring managers view that to look a little deeper so what they, it means they don't for have that perspective.
2: so what it means for hiring managers for executives the people who are hiring folks is that they have to be able to understand a cultural expression right they have to understand what it takes to do that thing mm-hmm. Secondly, at the, to understand potential. They're like, you're not hiring people based on what they've done elsewhere. You're hiring them based on what they can do here. Mm-hmm. And we typically look at, oh, they've been at this agency, went to this school. They've done this work. then they probably would do that here. But like sports to tell us that that is not the case all the time. Yeah. Like you could be a monster at, on one team, then go to another team. He's like, yo, what happened to this dude? Like right? mm-hmm. Dwight Howard was a beast. On the Orlando Magics, a beast. He goes to LA and it's like, oh man, what, what, what happened? Like, where's my man? He goes to Houston, it's like, yo, that's not the Dwight Howard that we once knew. Not that his talent decreased, i mean outside of his natural, natural age, but it's just the environment that he was in was not built for him to exercise his highest fidelity possible. So for For hiring managers, we have to move beyond sort of the institutional signals, i.e. you worked at this agency, you went to this school, Um, even looking beyond just the work product to get a sense of how does this person see the world? How do they understand the phenomenon of the social world in which we live in? And what's their proximity to culture? And how might that manifest within the walls here based upon the culture of this building? So when I think about, uh, when I think about how we hire people, there's three things to look for in a strategist. The first is curiosity, like just mm-hmm. really, really curious people. Because I know for sure I can't teach that. Like I consider myself a pretty decent uh, uh, teacher, right? A, a pretty decent professor, but like I can't teach curiosity. Like that's something that to me has to be super innate in the person that like they're not, they're, 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 they're not satisfied with like just one answer. It's like, no, no but why is that? And they're constantly... Yeah. Pulling back, uh, pu- pulling back the, the layers of the onion. The other is what what Tiffany talked about is empathy, like radical, radical empathy. And this is about like self aware perspective taking. This is about seeing the world through other people's eyes, realizing that you know we all make meaning differently. We all translate the world differently based upon our cultural subscription, the cultural frames by which we make meaning of the world differs based upon who you are and to what cultural tribes you subscribe to. Right. That's why for some um, a cow is dinner. For others, it's a sacred deity. And for others, it's leather or for some a rug is decor. For others, it's a place of worship. And for some, it's a souvenir, right? It's all the same thing, but it means different things based upon how you translate it. Yeah. So understanding. So for for me, if a candidate is curious and is like empathic, like they're very empathetic, like they are they can see the world through other people's lenses, like, oh, 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 come get close. And then there's the third thing and it's having some understanding of theory.
0: Yeah, definitely,
2: thank you. Theory, I mean like theory, theory is the best description of how the world operates. That's what theory is. And the people who provide theory they're scholars that have invested their entire life on this one little thing. Like like the last thirty years of their life have been dedicated on understanding joy, understanding contagion, understanding uh, uh, uh confirmation bias. They spend their entire life dedicated to this one thing. Why wouldn't we learn from that person? Yeah, like it's like, why wouldn't we extract the knowledge that that person has invested themselves in? which is why for me, like I love hiring people who study the behavioral sciences because a lot of the behavioral sciences already require you to be empathetic, see the world through other people's eyes, mm-hmm. especially if you're looking at sociology, psychology, and anthropology. Theory by its very nature, these things come from uh, the humanities and they are theoretically led. So having a rep- re- repository or a repertoire of theory helps them see the, make sense of the world and they're curious; they want to know about the world. Oh man, that's the perfect trifecta. Those are the kind of people that I would
0: hire in a heartbeat. Love it, love it. Oh, I think we're all we're all, we're all just taken back Thank here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure.
2: But, 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 but the, the the question you ask is a great point because yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a it's of it's, of the hiring manager. Like it's like we can't hide behind. Their normal signals of excellence, mm-hmm. i.e., the mm-hmm. institution you're in or the schools you come from, mm-hmm. it requires us to get close. Like, yeah. we have to know who these people are and how they see the world beyond what's on the resume. I mean, one of my favorite questions that I ask just about every person that I interview is I've seen your resume, I've seen your LinkedIn. Tell me about who you are that's not on LinkedIn. Like, who, who are you? Like I want to know how you see the world, like how you make sense of the world. And we can talk about ads and and all that stuff later. But like I want to know about like you, right? And the, the, the frames by which you make meaning of the world, because that's how you're going to interpret the brief when you get it. That's how you're going to interpret this place when you get here. And that's how you're going to ingratiate ingratiate yourself into the culture that makes this place unique. I mean, yeah. if nothing else about Wine Kennedy is that. It, it, it it's a magical place and i say that not as one as like drinking the, the kool-aid this is just my empirical evidence that we just hire really good people and we create an environment where there's psychological safety mm-hmm. to take creative risks like that is the secret right and it's a it's a beautiful thing when you have people that are built for that kind of system
0: I love it. You know, we talked about we mentioned the word culture so much, and we. I, but I want to talk about culture plus strategy and how you get to that execution. And oh, so, yeah. the example, I would love to, for you to share more on is Made of America. Now, I may be biased in saying this, you know, but and I don't know if you were. Part, it sounds like you were part of the very very first one, but for oh, yeah. me, that was the absolute best one. I'll never uh, forget yes. purchasing, never forget purchasing those tickets, and that was when you had. Um, oh my goodness, you had. Um, you
2: know, Jay-Z, yeah. Jay-Z headlining on, on Saturday, Jay-Z, Jay-Z, Pearl Jam on Sunday.
0: Yes, and you also had it, good music make the surprise cameo during that time. Everybody and
2: Barack Obama did, had a shout-out as well. He did a video. Did the uh, video? Is Yep, it
0: was a real yeah, thing. he did the video. And I don't know if you remember this, but it did come down pouring. I think it was on maybe on like that Sunday.
2: Sunday, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right, the Sunday. Yeah. What? It was like kind of epic. It was like right before Pearl Jam set, it started to rain. It was like, oh, this is like – it's like the thunder rolling in the background. This is crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, it was amazing. You know, you had Jill Scott performing, Tyler, the creator, well before, you know, he was Grammy Award winning. And I kind of think D'Angelo,
2: that. D'Angelo. A- D'Angelo.
0: It was absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, walk but- us through that as the execution, because I kind of sure. feel like that is the perfect combination of sure. strategy plus culture equals
2: this. All right. So let let so um so yes, I was I was a part of the launch um, one of the co-creators of Made in America, uh, which is one of my favorite campaigns that that, that I've worked on, uh, back in 2012. Mm-hmm. So let, let's pull let's pull back a little bit and let's start with strategy and culture. So we define strategy, right? Strategy is decision making, and its essence is all about saying no to things. Mm-hmm. And like the metaphor I use for strategy is always this. I mean any of my students hear this and be like, oh my goodness, not this again. You know, <laughs> when it comes to strategy, like the strategy is sort of like, it's like fishing where you go in a big body of water and you can put your pole anywhere. Like it's a huge body of water. It's Lake Michigan. Where do you put your pole? Well, a strategist would say, well, based on the ecology mm-hmm. of the water, the kind of fish that swim here, the time of year, the time of day, we should go right here, put your pole right here. You'll catch the most fish. Now, there are other places you can put your poll, but we're saying no to those things to say yes to here, saying this is the best opportunity, right? Like that's kind of what strategy is all about. So let's talk about culture. Now, culture is one of those words that we often use but seldom understand, unfortunately. You ask 20 people to define culture, you'll get 50 different answers. Because mm-hmm. culture is a really hard thing to define, A, because – because of how colloquial we use it, we use it all the time, as we refer to like celebrities and things that happen in media. The irony is that culture is the everyday. Like some some refer to culture as the program for everyday living, right? it's the it's the code that informs how we behave on day to day basis. And it's so it is so ingrained in what we do on our day everyday basis. It's like describing water to a fish. It's like, how do you describe that? Cause it's just my my life. We start looking at this from like a, a foundational perspective, a construct if you will. Uh, Emile Durkheim, is one of the founding fathers of sociology, defines culture as a system of beliefs, norms, and symbols that demarcate who people are and what people in their group are ought to do, what's expected of people in in their group, right? And they consist of the beliefs that we hold, this like the way we see the world and the stories we tell ourselves about the world, the Artifacts that we don, what what we wear and what it means, the behaviors that are normative, that have meaning, symbolic, and the language that we use. The alchemy of our beliefs, behaviors, artifacts, and language, they make up our our, our culture, right? Um, And the idea then is when we talk about culture, what we really mean is this system of systems that inform how we see the world. Like later in, you know, more contemporary uh, cultural studies, a gentleman by the name of Raymond Williams would say that culture is the realized signifying system. And since I'm not as smart as Raymond Williams, I say culture is the realized meaning making system. Culture is the way by which we make meaning.
1: Mm. The way
2: we translate the world depends on your cultural subscription, right? So if you are, if you are a, uh, if you are part of the QAnon subculture, You look at January 6th and say, This was a peaceful protest. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Right. If you are a liberal, you go, These were rioters. What is going on here? We look at the exact same thing, but see totally different things, right? Cow with leather, it's a it's a deity, or or it's dinner, right? So culture is the 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 mechanism by which we mediate what we see in the phenomenal social world and what it means, how we translate it. Mm -hmm. So When we talk about culture and strategy, we're making decisions about what a brand should do, how it should show up, how it communicates, its posture, its kinetics, based upon the meaning frames of the people that we're targeting. Mm. Based upon the way by which the people that we want to get to adopt behavior, which is the core Mm -hmm. function of marketing, the way by which when people adopt behavior, how do they make meaning based upon their cultural frames? right? So that is... The relationship between culture and strategy. Now, how does that apply to to Budweiser in America? Which is your earlier question. So, at the time, Budweiser came to us and said, "Hey, we've been we've been trying to get millennials saying big air quotes with big eye rolls." By the way, millennials, young adults. at Trust that- me, we're
0: we're going through that right now with the Gen, uh, Gen Z. So it's it's no, all. Always- <laughs> no, the fact like
2: demographics is such a blunt, a blunt irresponsible instrument that we use to describe people and the fact that we still use it is is actually sad
0: mm-hmm. i would say
2: it's laughable if it weren't just sad yeah. because our demography doesn't describe who we are like like i'm i'm 42 years old i'm black i'm born and raised in detroit holla went to public schools my entire life if a marketer saw that on a brief they go oh he must walk like this talk like this hang out with those people yeah. or do those things because that's just what those
0: kind of people do and
2: and it sounds terribly racist to say it out loud but that's what we do we say millennials or or young adults or 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 moms right or it's like like all women love to shop or that's not true or all women are dogs like no your boyfriend's a dog right like these things are not universal truths around who people are they don't define who people are however our cultural subscription does Mm-hmm. because we use our culture to communicate our identity to express our identity Got so, it. so back to budweiser so yeah. Budweiser said we're trying to get up to these millennials right these young adults we've been trying i think the stat was like one only one in three people had even tasted a budweiser right in, the, in this in this this demography they were going my, at.
0: First, my first time was at that festival
2: yeah see <laughs> it worked it didn't work it didn't work so that that's what we're dealing with like not a lot of young adults millennials had tasted a Budweiser problematic when you think about an aging and their aging uh consumer base and they said listen we've been spending a lot of money on like music as a vehicle as a cultural vehicle to ingratiate ourselves to these people right to, to 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 have some more connection with these people and funny enough Budweiser had made the Budweiser Superfest like back in the 70s which was like the joint like that like they had like Stevie Wonder Aretha Franklin Michael Jackson and Jackson 5 like all the biggest biggest stars oh, no. doing that that concert series in okay. like Wrigley's Field it was like massive yeah but then come like the ni- late 90s the early 2000s like it went from being like the Jackson 5 to being Jaheim no shot at Jaheen, but like He's no Michael Jackson. that's fine.
1: Different, different. It's
2: different. It's different. Wait, wait,
1: it's come right. on. It's We're not
2: talking about picture
1: me first.
2: Just in Case is my joint. Like, but like, come on. So, like, notably, not only did the the level of celebrity that was a part of the Superfest start to decline, but also the size of it. It went from 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 being in Wrigley's Field to being like at uh, a, a county a, a, a county fair. Like, these are big, big differences. So they're like this is not working How, what might we do so we said okay well, well let's start for a moment and let's start with the brand like what does this brand mean what is what what is, what is the meaning frame associated with with budweiser and you know it became very clear that budweiser is all about americana but budweiser's americana was very much flag waving i'm proud to be an american like it but it was not representative of the new americana yeah like the representation yeah. of how young America had been translating Americana. It wasn't about waving flags and like troops coming back. No, 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 The Americana that young America had embraced was the American dream. That Mm -hmm. if I have an idea, that if I can put things in the world, then like I can make it here. Like that was the dream that they were buying into. So we said, well, like, let's focus on that. Like that's new Americana that we need to shift our lens towards as a brand also the way people were consuming music in 2011, when we were pitching this idea, like people, people weren't going to go see one artist perform. They're going to festivals, right? They're going to, to Coachella and Lollapalooza, like massive explosion in festivals after the recession in 2009, because it became a better bang for your buck. Not only that, I listened to my music on shuffle. Like I'll listen to, to, to Radiohead and then take six and then voice to man and then Jay-Z and then Kanye West. Like, this mixture of of artists is how I listen to music. So, of course, it's how I should experience music in a live setting as well. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's think about a festival that celebrates the people who, the makers, who are living the American dream every day. And mm-hmm. who is the the most representative of that? Jay-Z. Jay-Z has made it in America, right? Like, he came from humble beginnings, from nothingness, in Marcy Projects to be the embodied embodied representation of what one can do here in this country if you have an idea, if you are creative, if you have a talent. So we partnered with Jay-Z and Budweiser to curate this festival. It's all about celebrating makers. And we brought together artists across a wide spectrum of, of industries, some of the some of which you you, you name dropped, right? And here's the 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 commercial aspect to this is the the, the 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 money part of this is that the only thing on poor at the festival was Budweiser. It was a huge sampling event, and we had it in probably the most Americana city in America, Philadelphia, on the steps of the Benjamin uh uh a Bishop Franklin Parkway, like, and
0: actually, I think, I think you, you that that festival was so amazing because I think that you all had to even redefine that by going into the city of Philadelphia to let them know what the new Americana looked like. I I think that there were news reports about the noise and headlines yeah. and stuff like that on the yeah. news, but you all really uh, went in there with the bang.
2: I mean, I love that campaign because you know how often do you create something that lasts for ten years? Yeah. I mean, this is going to be the this year will be the ninth iteration of, of Made in America because we took one year off because of, of COVID Not we I don't work for the brand anymore. But like that property still lives on and it's counted among the the, the summer festivals, Coachella, Lollapalooza, Bonnaroo, Made in America, like like to be able to make an impact on culture and I go back to the idea of culture. This is cultural product. This is the way by which people express their cultural subscription. It's how they exercise their cultural their, their their cultural practice, right? Like that is huge for for a marketer. Mm-hmm. There are many things we could have done for for Budweiser, but we said no to a lot of things and said yes to this because it made the most sense based upon the truth of who these people are, based upon the cultural frames of the people we we're, were trying to engage, and where the brand had the most license. And it's it's evidenced in, in people's people's attendance every year, 90,000 people show up to Philadelphia to celebrate this ideology that we carved out for Budweiser uh, as a brand. And that's it's a pretty terrific thing.
0: And I love that, you know, even today, you're still able to really fuse your love for marketing, uh, strategy and also music with uh, Check the Rhymes. So we want to talk a little bit about that uh, as well for the people uh, tuning in. Hopefully they could uh, listen to that. Yeah,
2: so check the rhyme uh, was something I stumbled across during my my dissertation. So, I, I I got my doctorate at Temple University at the business school there, and I was trying to decide what I was going to study. I mean, like if might anybody going through a, a, a doctoral program, it's a it is not for the faint of heart. Like it, you'd be a bit of a masochist to 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 experience this. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to study contagion because I'd done so much of my work prior to uh, the the doctorate trying to figure out why people share what they share and like the, the, the social physics of how things propagate and how things diffuse. So I knew I wanted to study, uh, um, contagion, but I wasn't sure the context in which I wanted to study it. So I'm like looking at a lot of stuff, reading a lot of things. And I was like, you know what? Like every time I look at things about like marketing and, and and consumption and diffusion, no one talks about hip hop. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yo, wait a minute. Hip hop is the most, consume genre in the country, not only that, it's fingerprints on almost every different business category there is. Why isn't anyone studying hip hop? And just the, the marketing literature, the literature broadly, business and management on hip hop, it was very, very thin. There were some there, but not a whole lot. In the social sciences, definitely. But in marketing and business, not, not a whole bunch. And I just thought, like, whoa, this it, is woefully underrepresented in this literature. So I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to study. I'm going to study social contagion within the context of hip hop culture. So I studied how brands and branded products spread from people, person to person, within this cultural context as a generalizable way to talk about how things spread within uh, within cultures more more broadly. And while I was doing my research, like, I'm reading like reading work from 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 McCracken, from from Bourdieu, like these like these like giants, these Goliaths in the, in okay. the, in the world of cultural consumption. Um, but no one's referencing like the Jay-Z's of the world, the Kanye West. I'm like, I'm reading this stuff. I'm like, well, that's exactly what Rock Kim says, but he just says it differently. Like yes. uh, we talk about demographics. Like uh, this is exactly what, 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 uh, what Karis once said, but right? like, like all my people eat chicken and watermelon, talk broken English and drug selling. Like, that's not true. I was like, this is the this is the a shot at why demographics is nonsensical. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to give these cats the flowers they deserve. So I decided to to create a video series that takes hip hop lyrics and extract marketing insights out of them. And it was just kind of like this would be kind of cool to do, just to kind of exercise this stuff in you know another way to procrastinate on working on my, my dissertation. Um, and it and it turned into like a series, you know, like 20 episodes deep into it. Um, and it actually, um, I'm starting a column at Adweek. That's all about check the rhyme. So every every column would be analyzing these hip hop lyrics and extracting marketing insights out of them. I mean, this is just a cultural lens on yeah. a phenomenon that we see. And what I realized is that the better I can match these theories yeah. to the to to, to the the, the live experiences that that I have and people like me have, the the more contextualized the theories became, and the more applicable they became. in in my work and that's that's pretty powerful
1: absolutely what you're doing is incredible i love check the rhyme i love that it's becoming now a column because for so long we haven't gotten the respect and the due diligence and the craft of what we do i think when you're able to take lyrics from jay-z when you're able to take lyrics from rakim and put it in the context of this is why it matters in the world people automatically understand the world in a different way and they understand what cultural capital is it allows us to speak the same language in a brand new way um, speaking of that, I'd love for you to actually break down the Social Currency um, of Summertime by Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. That's a classic.
2: Yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic. <laughs> you know, so, 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 I mean, that's a classic record. I, mean, I remember this from, from my childhood. You know, Will Smith says, uh, 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 just front all day, maxing, sitting in your car, they spend all day, waxing, lean to the side, but you don't speed through of two miles an hour so everybody sees you you. this is a way of expressing our 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 our, this way of projecting our identity right Mm -hmm. this is a way of gaining social currency as people see you they go okay marcus i see you fam and the idea (laughs) of doing while we may look at that and say oh man this guy is just like this this guy is narcissistic this guy is just trying to this guy is 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 trying to uh um to just clout chase it's like no that is like a, a a very superficial way to look at this What's really happening when we signal our identity is a way by which we gain social currency is people go, Oh, I think differently of Marcus. I think more highly of Marcus, or there's some congruence to how I thought about Marcus and this space that we have in people's mind, this cognitive real estate that we own in people's mind for brands, be it companies, products, or people, it goes a very, very long way, right? What, what the, what the theory talks about is that this social capital turns into Cultural capital, right? And cultural capital helps us identify where we are on the the the, the social the socially stratified hierarchy of the world, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, Pierre Pierre, Pierre Bardu talks about this as being three different forms of of, of cultural capital. There is uh, embodied cultural capital. These are the skills that we have, right? Like you know, um, uh-huh. your 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 accent, the fact that you can ride a horse, like you're, you're equestrian. Or mm-hmm. you know different languages, or you know uh, the Baroque era of music, or you have uh, you know you know all the classics, right? If if I told you well, I grew up, grew up riding horses, you probably think of me like, oh, Marcus must have grew up rich or wealthy, right? That is a signal of who I am and where I sit on the socially stratified world. And mm-hmm. the idea is that having embodied cultural capital opens up the door for me to have financial cultural capital. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like oh you rode I was a rider too oh get out you should meet my other friend and it creates the network by which we're able to get more more opportunities. Then there's objectified cultural capital. These are the materials, the branded products that we use that we that we use to communicate our identity. Right? If you rock seven hundred dollar Balenciagas, you're like oh you must have dough. You must come from means. You must be of these kind of people. A certain spot in the so in the 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 socially stratified world that we live in. And this opens you up for more financial opportunities, financial currency, right? Financial capital. And then there is into institutionalized cultural capital. And this essentially is like where we go to school, the company you work for, the organizations you join, fraternities, sororities, right? If you grew up a, a Jack and Jill kid, you go, oh, okay, uh, go mob. If you grew if you grew up a Jack and Gil, a Jack and Jill kid, you go, oh, okay, you must be X, Y, and Z these things help us establish networks that enable unlock more financial capital opportunities right so the idea of getting social capital which turns into cultural capital that turns into or social currency that turns into cultural currency that establishes cultural capital for us like this isn't just about flexing mm-hmm. this is about providing opportunities for us to ascend the social hierarchy um and potentially like feed our families like this is this, is, this isn't this isn't just stunting for the sake of stunting this is about opening more opportunities for ourselves
1: Right. I think about that with the most recent Super Bowl performance and how for the first time we were actually seeing rap and hip hop live in full effect. You know, we typically think of traditional programming for the Super Bowl as family friendly. It doesn't really push boundaries, but it's something that the masses can really enjoy. But I feel like this weekend was a time to be black. It was a time to have that social (laughs) currency, that capital culture. Um, I'm sorry, the culture capital that you referenced. Um, How did you how did you really process that level of performance? Because it wasn't just one act. It was a lot of people doing a lot of classic songs that you almost had to be from that time to really understand. And especially being in L.A., it felt like what a time to rep my city. Right. You see snoop in his bandana but elevated outfit yeah <laughs> that's, what- <laughs> <laughs> that's right
2: You
1: had to see mary in her boots doing what mary always does and what i loved about that performance
0: lamar in a three-piece suit i mean that's right, right. yeah
1: so we saw 50 cent hanging upside down shout out to his first premiere video um there, there were nuggets that you knew if you knew that's right?
2: right but that's what culture is all about it's about the codes Knowing the codes, right? Like 100% like watching the super bowl halftime. I mean, it was like, so hip hop, it was so black. Like, I just felt like, man, I I just felt like it was for me and this is what culture does and when brands tap into culture, that is they create not advertising, but cultural product, Mm -hmm. people feel like, oh man, it's for me. I mean, so much so that my, my dissertation chair sent me a text was like, I'm smiling ear to ear right now because this is exactly everything that your dissertation was all about. Like exactly. Like to your point, like Snoop wearing, you know, a, an elevated bandana. I love the way you put that. So, like <laughs> Snoop said it this way. I keep a blue flag hanging on my backside only on my left side. Cause yeah, that's the crip side. Right. And the idea there is like, if you don't know what a blue bandana means that you wear in the back of your jeans, you go, Oh, he's just super color coordinated. Right, you gotta know it. You gotta know it. You gotta know the. You gotta know the, the 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 hidden meaning, right? Know know the codes, and those who understand it, they go, oh man, you talk you talking to my heart, and I think that like, this is where marketing becomes at its best. Yeah, when the things exactly. we put in the world isn't talking about my razor sharp or my battery lasts longer, my car goes faster, instead, people see it and go, oh man, that's so me. And they use it to communicate their identity and to find people who are just like themselves. Cause this is what we do. Like we hit our friends up, go like, dude, he just murdered that joint, right? I know, I know, I know, right? I know. Brings us closer together. And you know, we, as Aristotle would say, are social animals by nature. So we're just trying to find ways to connect.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, this, I, I I feel like we need a part two with Marcus. Absolutely. Because this has yes. been absolutely phenomenal. I think that by now, if you have not realized why um, he is in the Advertising Hall of Achievement, um, listen to the episode again, because there are so many gems that you may have missed, but I'm sure well on your way to the um, Advertising Hall of Fame. But as you continue to make your way there take us back to that night of the advertising hall of achievement and just kind of what you remember from that night i mean we talked about so much in your career from you being a strategist from early on knowing that you wanted to do strategy teaching uh what did that what did that uh that night or that moment really uh kind of mean to you
2: You no it was the most humbling thing that i I think i've experienced um because i've never i never felt like i've always felt like a tourist in this industry i mean i still very much too, you know like i was an engineer turned songwriter turned marketer and a lot of people who are successful in this industry a lot of times they've been here they, they wanted to be here right like britney studied marketing mm-hmm. and, and advertising like she wanted to be here right and those people are like yo i'm dedicated to this thing I'm, I'm grinding it out and me i've never was that so i come to this place later on in my career so i don't have like the legacy of coworkers from other agencies I've worked at, like I don't have that coming here. So I, I've always felt like someone like a fish out of water, like I necessarily didn't belong. Um, and then, and now having one foot in academia as a professor at University of Michigan Ross School of Business, right? I don't feel like I belong here either because I didn't go the traditional route of academia. I did practice first, and then you know found my way here much later in my career. So as an academic, never really felt like I belong. As a practitioner, as an advertiser, I never feel like I belong either. But when I when I was inducted to the Advertising Hall of Achievement, I felt like I was among a cohort of people who were like, "Oh man, you you belong here. Like you're you're one of us," and just, it, it it created a sense created a sense of solidarity that I never really felt. And you know, there's confirmation that comes from it, of of course, because what an honor one one can achieve in their life, right? So all those things, those boxes were checked. But the humbling part for me was that this wasn't about me. Like, while yes, there I was getting honored with like seven other amazing, 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 talented people who I love dearly, right? Like, this was the alchemy of the people who invested in me, the people who saw something in me when my version of my portfolio was uh, was song was, <laughs> was, was, was songs, while yours were, uh, were were party flyers, like when like. People took a risk on me. Like when I worked at Apple, that was my first job where I didn't work for myself as an adult. Like Matt Fisher and Ed Swaznajar were like, all right, we're gonna give this guy a shot. Like working for Beyonce, there was no reason in the world I should be running digital strategy for Beyonce. <laughs> but Matthew Knowles said, yeah, I'm gonna give this guy a shot. My first foray into advertising at big fuel, Avi Savar was like, yo, I'm gonna give this guy a shot. I went to translation to start an agency inside of an agency never done anything like that before in my life I've only worked in the ad world for less than a year but stout said I'm gonna give this guy a shot and now being at Wyden Kennedy is my first time being a, a chief strategy officer right uh but these guys are like yo we're gonna give you a shot and I think that I feel much more licensed to do that here at Wyden, particularly because the American advertising confederation said oh dude this isn't no one's taking a risk on you This isn't a calculated risk. Like, B, you belong here. And that level of, I can't even call it credence, that like, they feel like I was seen, that people saw the like, the disparate things that didn't look, they look crazy on paper. Like, this guy's been all over the place. Like, what is this guy really all about? That someone saw it and said, oh, yeah, man, this, this is, this is worth it. This is worthy of it. It was just the most humbling thing that I I experienced, realizing that it wasn't me. It was, God, obviously, who opened yes. those doors. Um, but then it was the people that put in my life that saw something in me that other people didn't see and clients that trusted me to say, all right, let's give it a shot so I could put things in the world that other people would go, what are you doing? No way we're going to do that.
0: <laughs> well, listen, we will be looking forward to the other things that you put into the world that are still odd, but definitely successful, including Check the Rhyme. We will stay tuned. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. This is the end of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. I would love to once again thank Marcus Collins for joining us, as well as the American Advertising Federation for partnering with us for Season 2. And, of course, my guest co-host for the season, Brittany Allen, which you will hear from Brittany on the upcoming episodes. As always, stay safe, drink water. And until next time, please make sure that you enjoy A Dose of Black Joy. Amen. Amen.
1: Love it. (laughs) so <laughs>